Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller is producing the program for us. Glad that he is with us. Sitting across from me is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist. The lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee. Barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Uh, welcome to Paradise. It's like an exhale Hold on, I think, yeah, we got... There we go. There we go. Now I can hear yeah. myself talking. It's like an exhale day. You've got... I mean, obviously, very sobering news out of Nashville. I can't, I can't, I can't start... I know it's we're a sports show, but, like, it really disturbed me as a parent today hearing that. I know it's not necessarily uh, the topic you want to start on, but there's no way to express how my day's going without uh, at least mentioning our thoughts are with everyone over there in Nashville because it's just horrifying that children were shot today at a school. Um, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, I don't know, affected me a little bit today. No, I mean, I also think it started this weekend when you started seeing the images and the news was coming out from the tornadoes Uh, and families that were like screaming underneath rubble and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, it, it, it shines a, a different cast, a different light on sports. Um, but I always find comfort in sports and so um that's what we're going to talk about mostly today but i didn't want to go 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 without acknowledging all of that that's going on in the world outside of sports um it's overreaction monday we're going to overreact to the ncaa tournament we've got a final four that nobody predicted we're going to overreact overreact to the grizzlies who are uh have now won nine of ten is that right eight nine of ten six consecutive they have the longest active winning streak in the NBA, man, that that thing, this thing, you want to talk about a true roller coaster ride? We were we were flying high, then we dipped. Now we're flying high again. It's like it's and it's been dramatic turns. It feels like this year. No, this is what I talked with DeMichael about on Friday. This season, like in the end, NBA NBA seasons can be kind of roller coastery. Mm-hmm. This one, though, I feel like takes the cake. This has just been. Just the ultimate thrill ride. Yeah, it really has. We're going to talk. There's a lot going on in the NBA, especially with playoff contenders who the Grizzlies could potentially face, which is like basically still the entire Western Conference, the way the standings have uh, have shaken out. Um, we're going to talk about that next, that next hour. Jason Munns is going to join us uh, next segment around 2.40 or so. 
Um, we'll get his the latest on the transfer portal and the Tigers. It's starting to heat up. Starting to heat up, Jeffrey, now that the season's uh, coming to a close. Uh, and then we'll get into the list. Lamar Jackson has demanded a trade three weeks ago. Well, he made public that he re- yes. requested a trade. That he requested a trade from the uh, Ravens. Uh, right in conjunction with owners' meetings, right, taking place. Um, well, the day that he claims he requested a trade, John Morant was still uh, – John Morant had not been punished by the NBA. Well, no, I believe – what day did they say it was? It said March 2nd. March 2nd, yeah, you're right. Um, it was prior to John Morant uh, not playing anymore for the Grizzlies or not playing temporarily for the Grizzlies. Um, so you got that. Memphis women's basketball is looking for a new basketball coach. We'll talk about Katrina Merriweather a little bit in the list as well. So lots and lots to get to, but let's overreact to the weekend first. All right. Um, I think we should start with the Grizzlies. Okay, let's do that. Um, We're getting really close here to the end of the season. Um, I believe we are less than um, three weeks away. No. No, they have eight remaining, and so the – it's August 9th, I believe, or April 9th, excuse so me, have, is the last game. We have all of this week, all of next week, and then the final home game, or the final, the final regular right, less season than game two is, weeks away. is April 9th. We are less than so it was two, two weeks from yesterday. Yeah, less than two weeks away from the end of the regular season. Uh, they have a weekend where on Friday night, they absolutely obliterate the Houston Rockets at FedEx Forum. Um, yeah, if Luke Kennard if sets you, a new franchise record for threes. One thing we've learned about with the Grizzlies against the Rockets this year, if you need to beef up your three-point stats, that's mm-hmm. the team. They were still shooting pretty well last night in Atlanta, too. Yeah, they were. Um, and probably got their best road win in a while. I think it was the most satisfying one in a while. Well, they had lost sure. like 11 straight to teams with above 500, 500 or above records. And Atlanta was 500 going into yesterday. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, it was John Morant's first start since coming back. Um, and they look pretty good again. They won in the fourth quarter. They made the big plays in the fourth quarter. Desmond Bain felt like it was his turn. Really? Ja, ja took over in the third. Um, and then Desmond Bain kind of closed the deal late for him. And, and now they're back rolling. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I mentioned it last week. Like, what if? What John Morant went, what John Morant went through, was like the best thing that could have possibly happened to this team. I will acknowledge that them winning nine of ten has coincided with the schedule being easier. No question. Like, yes, that's just that's just. And this was the reason why. But they're also they look good. They look good again. Like no, they they are passing the eye test, but I think that's been kind of the difficult determining factor is mm-hmm. how much of passing the eye test is a product of they're playing much better versus well they're just playing teams that have. No business being on the floor with them right now. Yeah. So and last night though it was a team that that was a competent team. Yeah. I mean they're they're competing for playoff positioning in the East or for play in positioning I should say in the Eastern Conference. Um, so it leads me to this uh, overreaction because I mean this was basically the the moment in time where it feels like it was decided Luke Kennard is good enough to have a nickname. Yes. You guys talked about it on Jeff's show. I know there was, there's been chatter on social media about it. You know, I, I would go with Cool Hand Luke because I'm partial to the movie, but I can understand if there's other more original uh, so options. I kind of liked the twist on that. Mm-hmm. Hot Hand Luke. Hot Hand Luke? Maybe. Um, I, I will also say, I if you're someone that's into nickname talk, have at it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not fascinated with nickname talk. Yeah. Yeah, and Luke lends itself so well to like just Luke For sure. when he hits a three. Um, but they're not booing Mark. They're saying Luke. <laughs> um, nonetheless, I, I have like an underreaction and an overreaction. My underreaction would be we'll leave those out. We don't. Okay. We don't all care right, for right, those. Fine, fine. Unless My, you can restate it as I, an overreaction. overreaction. Only good move made by Zach Kleiman this year was getting Luke Kennard at the trade deadline. That's my overreaction. Okay. Wasn't his strongest year as GM so far. All right, so let's let's try to take all of the moves. Mm-hmm. You trade or you let Kyle, Anth- Kyle Anderson walk. Well, first, you trade DeAnthony Melton at the draft for Danny Green and the ability to move up to get David Roddy. Okay. And then you also traded what? became the draft rights to Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler and Ty Ty Washington in order to move up to take Jake LaRavia. Okay. Now, you could argue without the DeAnthony Melton trade, you can't necessarily make the Luke Kennard trade because Danny Green's contract ultimately made the Luke Kennard trade possible. And I would note, I looked it up today, um, if you want to like compare what Danny Green and Luke Kennard have done since being traded – uh, Danny Green has appeared in um, one, two, three, four, five, six games, and it appears the last two or the last four, excuse me, appearances mop up duty have been like mop up duty. He's not even in the rotation right. in Cleveland. Um, whereas Luke Kennard, you know, is to me, I mean, he's basically now the first or second guy off the bench every game. He comes in for Desmond Bain right away. It's either like he comes in for Desmond Bain or Santi Aldama comes in for Jaron Jackson Jr., depending on how Taylor Jenkins is running the rotation at the time. Right Recently, now, it's been him because Bain comes out first. Right now, his minutes line up with Tyus. Basically, mm-hmm. they both get somewhere between you know 20 to 25 minutes. When minutes. I'd argue, though, in like in a normal – when Ja is healthy – Luke Kennard will get more minutes than Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones' numbers are inflated a little bit, his minutes recently, because of all the minutes he played when Ja was out. I actually think Kennard's going to get more minutes than than Tyus in the playoffs if Ja Moran is healthy, if if he's healthy. But he's become this vital part of the rotation. Now, my my maybe it's an overreaction given the over, given people's reaction to Luke Kennard lately. Still not convinced, like, Luke Kennard is going to be the difference between the Grizzlies winning a playoff series or something like that. I'm not con- I, I want to see when we get into a playoff series when a team decides, to, okay, we're just going to make every pick and roll a switch with whoever Luke Kennard is guarding. Right. Like, that's what sometimes happens to him. Um, he's a useful player on the offensive end. And I think he actually, from watching him these, whatever it's been, 10, 15 games at the Grizzlies – he competes on defense. I'll give him that. You know what I mean? Like he competes on the glass. He competes he defensively. Hard. He's just, you know, he's 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 not a super quick, super athletic dude. And so sometimes he gets taken advantage of defensively. Um and if he can just hold his own, his shooting makes him worth it to be out there on the floor. And I think the the biggest development, at least as it pertains to the Grizzlies and Kennard, he's shooting more. Yeah. Well, and he, he let's be real. He he has added a true like potent weapon off their bench. They didn't really have any. Yeah. Like they had Santi. Felt like every other night or every third night would be like a really is a really good option off the bench. Like last night, Santi was not good. 
He's been pretty good at home. Yeah. Um, and it feels like Kennard could be more reliable. And so I just kind of – it's not to say, like, the Grizzlies front office, like, just having having a bad off season, if you will, does not um, diminish what they accomplished to build this team into what it is already. It's just to say, you know, the moves this offseason didn't necessarily work out the way I think anyone thought they would. I mean, Zaire has not turned – you know, you were basically doing a lot of this because you were banking on Zaire – Zaire being the sixth man, and Correct. that is and then he starts completely backfired, and now there's questions as to the long term viability of Zaire Williams. I think. Yes, and you know it starts at the beginning of the year when he has the injury. Yes. To start the season. No, there's. I think you can just sense it behind the scenes. Like it's okay. Listen, like we're just gonna try and pick this up next year and see if yeah. like a fresh start will help him. Yeah, we'll give him another shot next year. Um, I don't sense unless there's like some injuries. I don't send you know he's injured. He's now listed as right. injured right now too. Um, but unless there's like significant, you know, it feels like unless there's significant injuries, he's not going to be a part of this rotation move the rest of the season. No, to me, it's like there are understandable factors. Whether or not mm-hmm. that maybe changes the end result on how like he's viewed as a grizzly, that remains to be seen. But it does feel like you can chalk this up to a lost year. It like never the it, the train never left the and station. And the pick it looks like a you know a not great pick right Correct. now. I'm not, and I here's what I will say. I'm not sold on like Zaire Williams becoming like a star player, like the yeah. the missing piece for this team. I'm not. I'm also not convinced he's not an M. You know, like I could see him being a you know a six man, seven man. I could see that for him. Like he showed enough promise for that. I'm not. I I find it hard to believe though he's going to be like. A, what they what they hoped he would yeah what I don't they, think you're gonna maximize what they had hoped he was going to be yeah that would be my gut right now gut feeling on that but um and then now you could make the argument you know like Roddy is now rounding into form as a viable rotation player like he he made some big plays in the fourth quarter last night like as this small ball four which is kind of how they're using him now yeah with the injuries um in certain games he's really useful. And I think he's a guy who will make – I don't know how the best way to phrase this is, depending on how long the Grizzlies' playoff run goes, like I think he will factor into some games in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, like I think he's going to have some a key stretch, might be some bad moments. Like I think they're going to play him enough where he's going to – like almost – he'll be – I sense he'll have kind of a similar role to what Zaire had last year in the playoffs where like – He's playing every game, and it kind of depends on how he's playing, how much he plays in that game. But he's going to play in the game, at least in the first half. Yeah, maybe not with not with a long leash. Yes. But he's going to play, yeah. Yeah. And now is that Melton? You know, I don't know. Um, Melton in the playoffs was a guy who didn't really deliver that much. So there's, you know, like ultimately that's why they were willing to trade him. I think. Is no, I, I think it was. The, I don't think they were looking to trade DeAnthony Melton. I think they were willing to trade him because that you know they were looking for something more in the playoffs. I think when they saw similar results in the playoffs last year to what they had been seeing in the previous run, I mm-hmm. think that made. I think that factored in the decision. Yeah. So, um, but ultimately, I think this Canard move will be the move where you go. Okay, that was a good move. Like uh, to me, like you can make you can make the argument that the jury's still out on the stuff he did in the summer. You can't make an argument that that those moves were great. You can't make an argument that they were crap. 
I, I'm willing to hear out yeah. the, hey, the jury's still out. Let's see how these rookies ultimately turn out. I'm willing to hear that. You cannot tell me in this moment those deals were great moves. I think the way that I would bottom line it is, it did not make this team better this year. Yeah. I mean, could it be a long-term maybe you made them better? The jury's still out. But I do think it's obvious this year that they're not as good as they were last year. No, and, and I think LaRavia, for instance, like is in a situation similar to Aldama, where like Ald- like you better hope he makes kind of the leap Santi made between year one and year two, or you're going to be real nervous about that pick too. I think that's fair. I would also say, though, I was I was pretty skeptical about Santi making this leap. I have no, a, I, yeah, I, I think it was not expected, I would say. I was not counting yeah. on Santi Aldama to be a very consistent part of the rotation. That, like, It's funny. If you were to go into the season and go, what moves, that the, what thinking, line of thinking, would work, was the most likely to work out? Zaire stepping into kind of that role, DeAnthony Melton. Zaire slash Conchar, whatever, stepping into the, 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 the hole left by Melton. Or Santi filling the hole or try you know doing a nice job filling the hole that Kyle Anderson left you would 100% gone with Zaire and Conchar filling Melton's role as opposed to Santi being what he became yeah i think that's really interesting yeah i mean i guess the vehement Santi defenders would say well in the summer league he was starting to show signs of this but i mean i watched almost every summer league game and while i could acknowledge yeah he looks good I still got to opening night, and it wasn't until opening night when I saw him against the Knicks. I was like, okay, maybe. Like it, To me, I didn't really particularly care about Summer League. I wanted to see how it was going to be when he was going up against you know other NBAs, other NBA defenders. Yeah, but they are, uh, they're in a nice position, the Grizzlies, right now. Um, they looked good back with John Morant in the starting lineup. You know, I still... I still wonder a little bit. The rotation was a little wonky last night. Playing Conchar a little too much. I don't like when Ja, like, I like Ja playing the whole third quarter. I don't like it when it mean, if it means he can't come in until six minutes or left in the fourth quarter. If that's, if that's what it is, I'd rather see him come out with three minutes to go in the third quarter and come in with, like, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I was almost wondering, though, was that kind of... He doesn't have the conditioning yet to go more than... Well, and... He went the whole third quarter. Right, but I was wondering, like, is that part of the ramp-up? Because we've talked about in the playoffs. I'm sure in the playoffs... Yeah, in the playoffs, what it seemed to be last year was he'd play the third quarter, or the whole third quarter, and then he'd sit in the fourth quarter, but only, like... It was, like, the, if they were the nine-minute mark. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It's like if they were still leading, like, if the lead went to tied in the first two minutes... Like Jenkins would be willing to put him back in there, you know. Like so, and yeah. maybe that's what he'll do once the playoffs start. I guess the way that I was looking at it is, you know, typically in the playoffs, what we've seen with Jenkins is he plays more guys in the first half, yeah, and then the second half he cuts it down. Mm-hmm. What I was kind of taking that is, all right, Ja, we're going to get you ready for this is part. Excuse me, this is part of a ramp up of playing the whole third quarter. We're going to get you some rest, obviously, because of conditioning whatnot in the fourth quarter. But I almost expect. There's going to be a, a continuous ramp up. Yeah. Well, they're back home this week. Three games in a row at home. Tuesday, tomorrow night against Orlando. Then back-to-back home games Wednesday, Friday against uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Or, 
not San Antonio Spurs, Clippers. Los Angeles Clippers. I was thinking Kawhi Leonard. Uh, <laughs> Los Angeles Clippers, just like they had with Houston this past week. So um, we'll see. It, it, it's really, I mean, honestly, I, you know, you're still battling Sacramento to a certain extent here. Uh, for the number two seed. They're only, what, a game and a half back now, I believe? Two full games back. Two full games back? Yeah. Okay, so they're two games back with eight to play. So The Grizzlies are three behind Denver, two ahead of Sacramento. Probably got to go like five and three at least to feel real good about your chances, I would think. If you go five and three, that means they have to go seven and one. Yeah, like I think, but if you go four and four, feels like that's, that's when you start leaving it up to the jury because you can't tie them. If you tie, Sacramento gets it. Mm, almost assuredly, because it's going to come down to the conference record. The Grizzlies okay. are creeping up on wins, but there's still, I think, three or four losses ahead. And the reality is if if Sacramento is going to tie them, it means they're going to win some of these Western Conference Correct. games down the stretch. Yeah. So um will be interesting. All right. Then we got the NCAA tournament this weekend. Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Felt like every se- It felt like every night there was, like, one good game. You know, like whether it was the Elite Eight or Sweet 16, we got one good game every night this weekend. All right, so I'm trying to think. Thursday, Thursday we had Kansas State, Michigan State, which I think yes. is one of the best it college games. It's one of the best college basketball games we've ever watched. It was a fantastic, yes. Tennessee, FAU was... It was gross. It was close, but yeah, gross. Yeah, it was not great. UConn beat the absolute... UConn beat the absolute yeah, crap, crap out, out of Arkansas. And then the other was Gonzaga, Gonzaga UCLA. It was correct? a great game. So we had we had two one, great games. One we had one early good game, one great late game. Yes. Friday we Friday then went week, to week. Friday we then went to Alabama San Diego State. Which the problem is San Diego State turns every game into kind of the same thing where mm-hmm. it's just yeah. But number one going down, it was well, and it was exciting. it just felt like every everyone in America except for Alabama fans was was excited to see Alabama go down. And then Miami Houston, even though again it was number 1 going down, but like it felt like it felt like Miami was in control the whole time yes. in that game. Yes. Um Xavier Texas same deal. Texas was in control the entire yeah. time. Creighton Princeton got a little feisty for a second, but there was never really a moment where you were there was like maybe one moment early in the second half where you're like, "Oh, maybe Princeton again." See, but that's it. I just felt like Princeton was that team that refused to die when they clearly should have just, like, gone down. Mm-hmm. But I never felt like Creighton was going to lose. I The only question to me was, like, whether or not Creighton covered. It was like a 10.9.5, 10-point spread. The whole time it felt like Creighton was in control, but Princeton was just, like, bound and determined, we're going to cover this number. And then Saturday in the Elite Eight, you had UConn, Beating the ever-loving crap out of Gonzaga, uh, but then FAU Kansas State was a very good, was an exciting game. So, and then Sunday, tell me, tell me Texas felt, Miami was a good game. Tell me if you felt this way. And I mean, and Creighton San Diego State was a good. It game, It was a too. close game. It was a close that game. was a close game. Well, it had, State, it had a, all the recipes of a great game. There's though, a with common the, theme with on, the controversial yeah. call at the end. But there's a common. I don't know how controversial it was. He fouled him. I, I thought. I thought. I watched it and I went. That's a foul. I, I will hear the argument, though, of some Memphis fans are like, people were saying after that Houston buzzer beater here in Memphis, well, that's just not a call you made. You know, when Sheed, when Sheed pushed off of uh, pushed off of Kendrick Davis to hit that buzzer yeah, beater, to me that, that's just not a call they make at the end of the game. To like, me, I heard that, and I was like, well, you know, I, I kind of agree with that. To me, though, that's different. That was a push-off. Mm-hmm. 
This was a push of an of a shooter. I did when you watched it in slow motion. You went, well, it was a foul. Like to me, the the comparison to the to the shed play was, I think it was Pack. I believe it was Nigel no, Pack. No, it was Wong. 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 Isaiah Wong. Wong went down. It was like late in the shot clock. I think it was tied, and Wong like does a jump stop right at the free throw line, and he extends his arm, mm-hmm. makes the shot, but they wave it off. And they sent it the other way. Well, what that was to me, but this one was he had his hand on his hip and he pushes him. What do you think of the argument that they'd been not calling anything this whole game? Like they were those teams were allowed to beat the crap out of each other I mean, for thirty nine minutes, and then in the last minute, this ref calls you know what amounts to you know kind of a you know a foul, but not a hard foul. I mean, they've been calling know. fouls. Yeah, like. To me, where they were letting contact go was underneath. Yeah. There, you were if you didn't draw blood, it was yeah. it was fair game. Everything <laughs> underneath. I mean, you had you had Cockbrenner just like grabbing people by the neck. Like I mean, it was San Diego State plays a style of basketball. I don't even know who's like it's it's definitely a throwback. To me, it's like it's like Big Ten basketball of like the nineties. To me, it's very similar to like. Virginia, but way more physical. <laughs> like Virginia, like tries to play tactically good defense. San Diego State just wants to beat the hell out of you. Yeah. Like they want to make you miserable. Well, there is a lesson there in that. Like San Diego State and Houston kind of feel like they play similar styles, and both are like as you know. I know Houston's going to the Big Twelve, but if you were to talk about who are the most successful outside of like it's like who are the most successful outside the major conference programs in yeah. college basketball of the last decade. It's Gonzaga, it's Houston, and it, it might be San Diego State. If you're going by consistently good. Consistently good, but this is their first yeah, oh yeah, put this, it together in the tournament yes, for a run. Yes. The thing though that was interesting is and like I'd noticed I'd mentioned this trend on Friday. The thing that's really standing out is in all of these games, you basically got to get to 80 to win. Mm-hmm. I think FAU got to 79. But well, every not, other not in that San Diego State. But that's my game. point. There's one outlier. <laughs> San Diego State has found a way because they'll also go through these stretches yesterday, and if you if you bet on San Diego State, it's the absolute worst because they will have like stretches of eight minutes of basketball where you're convinced they're never going to score again. Like just making jump shots, anything feels difficult. But what I give them credit, unlike Houston, unlike Virginia. Unlike Tennessee, they have found a way to play this style, and no one ever runs away from them. Like, every other one of these situations, like, in the end, why did Houston lose? Houston scored decently. Remember in the first half, they still kind of kept it in. But when it when Miami put pedal to the metal, they couldn't keep up. Same thing with what like, we saw with Tennessee. When FAU Most, in the second I mean, Miami half. Miami proves the old adage of, like, they have great guards. And and they those, keep playing, and they play like four, they play four guards and that one big dude who uh, I think came from Arkansas State actually. Um, what's I think name? that's yeah, I think he's the transfer. We are uh, it's like Muir. They have a Miller, and then they have like Omir, like Omir, Norchad, yeah. Omir. Yeah. Um, but no, and it's well, it's interesting because it's brought up, brought back the discussion, and it really didn't go. It really wasn't it didn't seem like it caused that many national headlines when it was going down but the whole thing with Miami and its NIL fund and how 
Nigel. I mean, it was Hack a, was the guy. Remember that, like eight hundred. That he like well, renegotiated like, his deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he he signed, and then he's then he saw someone else got another deal, and then and he's Isaiah like, Wong. Yeah. it was him and Isaiah Wong were basically like you know like going. It was like, well, he's making this much. I want to make this much. You know, like and ultimately Miami. It sounds like via that Ruiz guy. Yeah. As, as like you know, basically this team costs two point two million dollars. It's like out there, money well spent, uh, and they're going to the final four. Um, but I thought you made a good Be- point. Better return on investment than his football investment so far. Everyone's talking about the makeup of this final four. How let's just be honest, bizarre it is. It's it's Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State on one side, and then you've got UConn against Miami on the other side. The only one who's remotely close to like a quote unquote blue blood is Yukon. And like Yukon was like the blue blood outsider, if you will. Like that's how they kind of branded themselves as like we're as good as the blue bloods, but we're, you know, like we were the late addition to the Big East and we're we've got that feisty Big East attitude. We're not like a true like so and it's Yukon to me, see if you buy this comparison. Yukon to me feels a lot like LSU football, where they, yeah, they're not quite on the status of the the blue bloods, but when they get there, they have a very high percentage. Like, of because if they win this national title, and I think they look the best, mm-hmm. that's they gonna be, their, be the favorite. That's gonna be their fourth national title since ninety nine. I don't believe anybody else has more. Yeah, and they will have done it with three different coaches. Correct. <laughs> um, so but it's almost like you know they have they kind of they'll fall off. And LSU has a tendency at times, like, it's not 12 and Well, the, UConn's problem was, I mean, they were really good for a long time under Jim Calhoun, and then he finally broke through. Yep. And then Calhoun retired, and it looked like Kevin Ollie was going to be, like, a like it was going to be the ultimate handoff. Yep. And then, you know, ultimately— And then you realize, like, okay, that might have just been Shabazz getting hot for— Him and— Yeah. 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 So— um, and it seems like they made a good hire in Dan Dan Hurley, Danny Hurley, whatever you want to call him. Um, he got that thing. I mean, he got hired the same year as Penny. Now, I would argue him and Penny up until this year have had similar results. If anything, Penny's won more games than, than Dan Hurley did. Now, Dan Hurley switched leagues. You know, his but first I mean, couple like, years, his first year, I think, was in the AAC. Yes, to me, though, that was like the – that was one of the basis of – they have to do something about the perception of the league. Because remember, UConn missed the tournament, and then they they leave. No, when you think about just the teams they were that were in the same team the next year, like record-wise, they were very similar, mm-hmm. and then they were like a, a sixth seed. You know what I mean? Like they were in no matter what. And like when you compared the, yeah. the, the rosters, like it's the same team. Yeah. It's just the status of the league. Yeah. No, and uh, but now he's got them in the Final Four, and, and they – I mean, they've blown out everyone they've played. Um, but I thought the point you made before the show, I mean, you said, you know, NIL, everyone focused on the football aspect of it and what it might change in football, and it feels like it hasn't changed that much in football. Like, the big school, like, I guess it's changed in the sense that Georgia has replaced Alabama as, like, the supreme power in college football right now. But that doesn't feel like that drastic of a change, ultimately. Well, I think it also shows, so to me, it's, Conference realignment, NIL, transfer waiver. Mm-hmm. All three transfer of those things. Waiver, yeah, wait. Yeah. But the in the end, it's not necessarily the portal. It's the fact that guys and, can, and COVID, the COVID extra year. Correct. 
I think it's going to take longer in football because it's just more of a roster. roster, It's a bigger roster. And we saw, like, this actually did kind of show up this year in college football with the exception of Georgia having, in the end, like, if you look at TCU played for a national championship in football with a first-year coach. Like, it clearly had an impact. But the problem was when they went up against a team like Georgia that had a better player probably at every position, Mm -hmm. just about it seemed, they eventually will fall will fall off. But and, like when you watch these games like FAU, like honestly like there wasn't much of a talent difference between them and Tennessee, between them and Kansas State. Yeah, like Kansas State felt a little more talented than them, but like on the perimeter, but not in like in the end why did they win that game? That 7-footer like outplayed They could get rebounds. Yeah. Kansas State would would get quote unquote stops, but then they would give up offensive boards. But to me the the it does feel like they're going to return. Like it sounds like this run None of those guys on that team are good enough to go pro, and they're all eligible to come back. I can't ima- I can imagine if they can just scrounge up some NIL money and Dusty May stays another year, which it feels like he's going to do. Like they're going to be really good in the AAC next year, right? But this is kind but of. I think it's a one-year thing. But that's kind of the bigger issue. Yeah. Well, what if all these guys who now have had this unbelievable platform, now all of a sudden. Presuming they can still transfer, mm-hmm. what if they open themselves for business? I think it's going to be up to F. I think if FAU can scrounge the money together, they'll be able to keep that. You know, you can sell them on like going on another run. You know, like oh, I, mean, I mean, hell, if they win, I mean, they can win the national title this weekend. But like next, okay, you know, next month, a week from today, there's another school that's in the Final Four that just spit. What did we say? Two point two million. Two million. Yeah. Well, what if they're going to replace some of their guys and they're like, hey, you don't it even is have right to, down the road. Yeah, you don't even yeah. have to move that far. What if we got like a Boca Raton versus Miami final, <laughs> national championship game? That'd be wild. They'd have a tough time filling out those student sections. You know, when the, <laughs> they do like the Taco Bell student section. Yeah, it looked like FAU brought some people this weekend. They had a decent crowd too in Columbus, I thought. Yeah. It was not as big. I'll say this. FDU, fairly Dickinson, actually, for a 16 seed, yeah. felt like they – maybe it was just because everyone was cheering for them when I was in the arena. I think that was a big that part of it. probably yeah. part of it. Um, and I think also – But it, it did seem like they had a bigger cheering section than I expected. It felt like FAU had seed. a bigger cheering section when they were playing Tennessee than when they were playing Kansas State. FAU, you mean? FAU, sorry. Yeah. And also, though, it's important to note, when Kansas State played FAU in the Elite Eight, the kid from Queens. Like, it felt like every New Yorker was there to root for the New Yorker. Yeah. So yeah. that may, but it, it felt like they had, it felt like their fans were louder against Tennessee than it did against Kansas State. But to me, the bigger deal is all of the emphasis, whether it be realignment, whether it be NIL, transfer waiver, transfer portal, all of it, it feels like it's all been centered on football. Mm-hmm. I think by everything being centered on football, it opened up the opportunity for what we're seeing in basketball, which is all of these, there's no dominant team. It feels super spread out, Mm -hmm. and now you're actually seeing parity in college basketball. The question, though, is... So you don't see this as a one-year deal, this this year's tournament, with how it's kind of played out. So the other, I mean, it has happened before. Like Butler made it as an eight sure. seed to the national championship but this is the game. First, this is the first tournament. The where, same year VCU made it. This is the first tournament where there's there wasn't a number one in the Elite Eight. Yeah, there wasn't a number two, a one, two, or three in the Final Four. Yeah, I think it's you can maybe make the case that it was poorly seated and whatnot, but it's like 
They went by the metrics that they had. Like, the question for me, though, and this is another complicating factor, is I think we're in this weird in-between period of time of how do you build a roster? Mm -hmm. Because Cal, during the one-and-done era, ushered in, hey, you can get these guys, you can win big. We even to the point where Coach K had to start doing it. Yeah. Well, now, if the one-and-dones, if that rule's going away when they come up with a new CBA... Because it felt like the only one-and-done who made a significant impact this season was Brandon Miller. And I think that's kind of another... I'm sure there are some others, but, but it, like, like, that's, that's a, the only one I was aware of. This is the first Final Four without a McDonald's All-American on a roster. But I think the other issue that you're starting to see is it's either, A, this crop of one-and-dones weren't great. I mean, to be fair, if you look at the mock drafts for next year, the top four picks, basically, are it, out of the top four, only one of them is a college basketball player. Correct. And Brandon Miller was outside of that, and he played his way in. Like, if you look at, like, the top ten rankings for... The, the last class. The last class. Top 15 rankings. Miller's 14. Was yeah. the number 14 recruit. Then everyone else, like Jerace Walker from Houston, yeah. he was pretty good. He was the number 11 recruit in the country. Cason Wallace was pretty good for Kentucky, I guess. Um, Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead for Duke were okay. Nick Smith was considered the number one recruit for Arkansas. He, when he played, he was pretty good. But like Arkansas is the perfect example of, of the point that I'm making, though. Arkansas got into the one-and-done game. Mm-hmm. And it felt like Musselman was very frustrated coaching this team in a way that he's usually not coaching his team. So, to me, what's going to be more fascinating is, do, does the NBA actually get rid of the rule? And now, what you're going to start to see is, are you going to start, are we going to see maybe guys going away from trying to just get as many, you know, the Cal strategy of get as many of these guys as you can, and instead get really good college basketball players. Because that's kind of been the story of the tournament for me. Who's the best pro prospect still left? Still left. Best pro prospect is probably the kid on UConn. Jordan uh, Walker, right? The the three? Yeah, hold on. Um, I think that's his name, right? No, um, no that's Jordan Walker's Jelly Walker. Who... Jordan Hawkins, right? Isn't that his name? Yeah, on, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, yeah. from UConn. Yeah. He's probably the best. Um, okay, but he's still like late lottery, mid first round, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe I think like Isaiah Wong is considered like a guy who will get drafted. So I, I bring all this up, though, is I think there's going to be this real question of how do you build a roster now? Because it feels like we're going through another change in the same fashion that one and done changed how the best built their rosters, if the NBA gets rid of having to go, you know, gets rid of the one and done, and now everyone's eligible, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how people build rosters. Yeah, well, that's a good transition because... How's Memphis going to build Yeah, first? how is Memphis going to build its roster? We're going to talk to Jason Munns, the Tiger basketball beat writer from the Commercial Appeal. Next, we'll get the latest on the portal. Also talk to him about... Uh, how Memphis fans are maybe are feeling from his sense about uh, FAU being in the Final Four. All that and more on Giannato and Jeffrey. You're listening to 92.9 FM ESPN.
And Jason Munns is the Tiger basketball beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. He's on Twitter at Munsley. Munns, the effing Eagles, really? Is Mark on today? He is here I'm today. here, yes. Oh, this is a Mark Giannato special. I do like the Eagles. I, I like the Eagles, too. We, yeah. I was just quoting the big The Eagles are like one of those bands that got hated on back in the day because they were kind of generic, but they've aged pretty well. They got a lot of hits. Uh, yeah. I, I just remember that uh, one of the many, many conversations that we that Mark and I had over our many, many hours riding together from Fort Worth and then to and from Columbus was about the Eagles and about how, I mean, like, I, I submitted that they're that like let's take out Hotel California. Let's take out. Why would you take that out? Because it's, are we saying the album or the song? The song, okay. like best best Eagles song, and I and like let's take out Hotel California just because that's everybody's pick, or it feels like it. Um, and and Mark, I, I submitted Heartache Tonight, and Mark was not having it. Yeah, Heartache Tonight, the Ooh. long run. Witchy woman. Love the long run. Desperado. Desperado is a good I think, one. I think. I think. Was it Elaine's pick? I, the guy. The guy she was dating. Desperado was his song, and then she <laughs> wanted to be witchy woman, right? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. But life I in think, the fast lane. Yeah, life in the fast lane. Take it easy. Yeah. There's a lot of good we, ones. A lot of good we ones. We eventually agreed on life in the fast lane. Yeah, a lot of good ones. Well, I want to move on to a different bird. The owls of mm. Florida Atlantic. Jason, okay. let's start here. We got a lot to cover this week um, on the Tiger basketball front, but let's start with FAU is in the Final Four, um, and this was gonna. It's over. What a sentence. It, yeah, it's it was gonna be. It's overreaction Monday here on the show, and this is this is my FAU related overreaction. Okay, and I want to hear what you have to say about it. Um, what, future national champion? No, FAU oh. making the Final Four is not the what-if Tiger fans should lament, ultimately. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I just don't see the, I don't see the, man, they made the Final Four, so we should have been in the Final Four. Memphis missing out on the Sweet 16 is the what-if. And, like, yeah, you maybe could have, like, I'm not saying Memphis couldn't have beaten Tennessee, but to just assume they were going to beat Tennessee just because Florida Atlantic did, I'm not ready to go there. Um, but ultimately, you... It sucks. I think it sucks. <laughs> Ultimately, no matter how, no no matter how you shake it, but I'm trying I'm trying to bring some solace here. Like this weekend is not what you should be lamenting from the FAU perspective and in the Memphis perspective would be my take. There's no you're, you're saying there's no silver lining. Like we were an eyelash away from like like you know if they, they played FAU it, the closest. I'm not. I'm yeah. not discounting that. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel like that. I'm saying I do. I would not feel like that because like ultimately, like you know, you don't know how you match up against Tennessee. I think they would have had a good shot at winning that game. They would have had a good shot at beating Kansas State. But a lot of things have to come together for that to happen. See, I think I think Memphis would have had a good shot. And I mean, like anybody, let's be let's start here. Anybody who's saying that Memphis would have beaten Tennessee, like just blindly, uh, you know, like saying they would have beaten Tennessee if they had gotten to the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, come on, like no, you 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 just can't say that. But um, I certainly think that uh, Memphis would have matched up really well. Against Tennessee, um, not saying again, not saying they would have won, but 
it would have at least, uh, you know, like it, it was, it, it, it feels like that matchup would have been pretty favorable for Memphis. And I'm not so sure. I mean, I think that Kansas, I actually think Kansas State might have been an unfavorable matchup mm. for Memphis. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but again, who knows? We're just talking in a bunch of uh, what do, ifs and, and fantasy land. Do you, what effect do you think this is all, if any, is it going to have on like Penny Hardaway in that program moving forward? Like, do you think it'll, this will be something that lingers over them for a, a long time? Or is it something that's just kind of happened and they'll move on? You know, they're going to, it's going to basically be a brand new team next year. So, like, none of, most of them will have not gone, have, have actually gone through this. Like, do you think? Do you feel like there'll be any lasting impact of what's taken place over these last couple of weeks? So that's what I was going to say. First of all, for the players, I mean, you know, the majority of the team is going to be new, and um, and yeah, you know, they'll they'll whoever is new that's coming in, you know, you've got the, the high school commits who've obviously been paying attention, so you know they've been they've been signed for the majority of the you know the whole season, and so I'm sure that every Every they, they've they've felt it in one way, shape, or form or another. Um, you know, when Memphis has won, they've probably felt that, and when they've lost, they probably felt that. So there will be some, you know, people who weren't here last this season who who you know might have have that on their mind um, next season. But and I've said this before already. I mean. Penny, like, I don't see him, I, I see him using this as fuel, like I, his motivation as, you know, he talks a lot about the chip on the shoulder, you know, and, and, the, and the disrespect. And like, we, we, we heard that a ton this year and we've heard it a lot in years past. And that's, I think this is just going to be one more log on the fire for, uh, for, for Penny. Um, I mean, because that's honestly, that's all you can do. I mean, that's, if you're if you're going to um, you know eventually break through and and progress and 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 keep keep the ball rolling, then that's what you have to do. You can, you can't look at it look at it any other way. And I think that's I think that's what Penny. I the, the, my guess is that's how Penny will treat this as, as motivation and just to be, give you know give him another reason to. Uh, you know, to have that chip on, to keep that chip on the shoulder. Do you think this season, and even when you look at the tournament, I believe the stat is there's only one true freshman starting in the Final Four. Do you think that has any impact on how he views? This is how I got to put together a roster. Um, I mean, he keeps saying he like he wants a blend. When I asked him this at the, ahead of the tournament. Like the way this year played out, how will it affect? You know, how does it affect like your philosophy on building rosters? And he said he's still looking for a blend. Like he knows he needs a bunch of older dudes, but I don't think he's totally, very clearly from what he's done recruiting wise. I don't think he's just discounting freshmen. Yeah, and I think that's. I think I think he means that. Now you know, the counterpoint to that is we saw very recently what a blend can do to your locker room. I mean, just, you know, the 21-22 season, he had, what, five, six, seven freshmen? That that team got further than this one. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, like the blend okay, team. All right. The blend enough. team won a game in the NCAA tournament. You know, well, they did get to play Mountain West. Yeah, that's true. They played. They they played a worse team. It yes. appears than Florida Atlantic. Um, but yeah, and they got really good when they subtracted one of those freshmen yeah. from the mix. <laughs> that's true. So, that's true. I don't. You know, they seem to solve a lot of problems. While that team was a blend team, ultimately by the end of the year when they were really clicking, it was mostly a veteran team with a stud freshman in Jalen Duran. And then yep. occasionally a, uh, like almost like a jump starter freshman in Josh Minot. He, yeah, again, you could have argued should have played more, but like that's what that's ultimately what his role was. Like ultimately, when it came down to it, it was Lomax, it was Landers, Nolly, it was DeAndre, Lester, Tyler. Tyler. It was older players who were really spearheading yep. that that operation. Aside from Jalen Duran, right? Like it was really like one stud freshman. Yeah, Chandler. I mean, I think Chandler was kind of back in the mix toward the end there. Malcolm was getting some minutes there. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it was it was largely and so and so. That's to Jeffrey's point. Like, um, it's. It, it, I mean, I don't know. I, well, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't well, get it. It brings up. You know, we're now. This is the off season, and the roster composition of this next Memphis team seems kind of shrouded in mystery. At this point, um, the the complete composition, and I think it's partly because I don't. I think if you asked Penny Hardaway today, who's going to be on your roster next year, I think he would say I, I'm not sure, and I think he'd be telling the truth. Um, yeah. You you reported last week um, that j- the Lawsons were coming back last Tuesday, um, yep. and then uh, we know Jaden Hardaway is coming back. Penny has said that already, um, and that's mm-hmm. it in terms of returners. Um, and then you've got the news over the weekend was David Tubek, one of the two unsigned players in this seven-person recruiting class, or was seven-person recruiting class. He's decommitted. Felt more like three unsigned uh, players. What's that? Three unsigned players. Oh, excuse players. me, three unsigned players. Um, yeah. He's now decommitted. Felt more like, you know, felt like, uh, hey, it'd be best if you decommitted it type of like, situation. It felt like a drop. Yes. Um, and we'll let you say well, you I, decommitted yeah. publicly. Um, you know, go well, ahead. I, go. Can tell you, I can confirm that's exactly what happened. I talked to David's uh, uh, guardian who, who said that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So now you've got technically five players, five freshmen either committed or signed. Um, Mikey Williams being the top of the heap. Um, I suspect. And he signed like I think I don't think that's going to be a guy that you're dropping, if you will. Like maybe Mikey Williams decides something at the last minute, given his profile in terms of going pro or whatever. You know, like going to play in the overtime elite or whatever. We know like ultimately what his deal is, but I expect him to be here next year. Ashton Hardaway, I would expect to be here next year. Um, and then you've got <clears throat> Carl Sharon Font, JJ Taylor, four stars who are signed, Ryan Forrest, a three-star nephew of one of the staff members, cousin, cousin of one of the staff yeah. members, Sean Forrest, and then Tyler Johnson, an unsigned four-star point guard. Um, and that leaves you, by my count, if all six of those guys were to come to Memphis, that leaves you with four available scholarships right now um, to play with. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. 
Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.